It's Wednesday, February 29th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor, Jason Moser, from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, ha- happy leap year. Happy, happy leap, leap year. year. Four years ago, we weren't doing this podcast. <laughs> we'll see if... Oh, let's be honest. Let's see if next year we're still doing this podcast. See if tomorrow we're doing this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Uh, We will talk uh, leap year and investing. We will dig into some of the emails we got in response to our discussion of National Pancake Day. (laughs) Some great emails coming in. Radio at fool.com. But let's start with Costco. Shares of Costco up slightly this morning on the company's latest earnings. Uh, Joe, I'll start with you. Um, Profit up 13% for the latest quarter. Things are looking pretty good for Costco. Yeah, same great results we've been expecting from these guys, and they've been delivering for a long time. You can really see the evidence of how well they're executing when you compare them to Sam's Club. Uh, same store sales when you back out fuel costs in the U.S. were up 7% compared to Sam's, which was a little over 5%. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty meaningful difference, especially if you start compounding that over a period of years. Uh, retention rates were very high among members. All in all, it's firing on all cylinders, and I think you're just going to see more of the same from these guys, which is a good thing. Jason, also, uh, uh, it's an inside value recommendation. It's a stock advisor recommendation. Uh, I'm guessing you guys are continue to feel pretty good about that recommendation. We do. I mean, it's it's a core stock over at Stock Advisor for a reason because of this. This is a perfect example of why it's it's kind of like old reliable. You know, it's it's going to be a steady steady producer. You know, as a low cost provider, a great place for people to go uh, save money. And you know, I think one of the things we were always very fond of management, but even with with Senegal now moving on, uh, we are also very fond just of their slow controlled growth. And so, I mean, they don't look to, you know for lack of a better word, just carpet bomb, you know, some section of the United States with <clears throat> a bunch of new stores. Mm-hmm. They're looking essentially to, to figure out what markets they are going to uh, be most relevant in, open up slowly but surely. And so I think they're planning for another 17 stores this year. Uh, they do have some international exposure there spreading into Canada and Japan. Uh, but, you know, we've looked at even with the European exposure for Stock Advisor just to try to get a better idea of, of how risky a play this was in regard to Europe, Europe's crisis over there. And, and really, with, with such uh, low exposure there, uh, you got to love the play here, you know, in the United States. They just continue to bring it home. Well, and Joe, we were talking last year when the news came out that I think it was for the first time in five years, Costco was raising the membership fee by yeah. 10%. Uh, and among the things uh, reported today, they basically their members didn't bat an eye at that. They, you know, they they continue to just uh, crush it, and that really seems like that's a huge financial advantage for this company. Whereas, you know, we've talked before about retail is a is a tough game and low margins, but when you have that membership fee. Uh, every year coming in, that that really makes the economics a lot better. Oh, it really does. What it effectively does is front loads a bunch of profit. So Costco can give you better margins or leaner margins and smaller markups than all their competitors. And they can do that partially because they get a lot of that cash from you right up front at the beginning of the year. But even when you factor that in, they still have much lower gross margins than their competitors. What that means to you as a customer is they're giving you better values. And that's why they could push through that price increase. And, you know, what was impressive about that is I don't think they raised it because they could. I think they raised it because they'd earned it 
and they'd worked their way there. And I genuinely think that they didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. I think they'd rather keep delivering the best value possible to customers. It's exactly that mindset that has made them such a success. Um, the shares, uh, up, up slightly, as I said, uh, on the latest earnings. But shares right now, Jason, are trading within a couple of bucks of an all-time high. Yep. Um, with that in mind, what do you think about the valuation of the stock right now? Yeah, I think the valuation is reasonable. I mean, it's not too terribly optimistic. But with that said, you know, Costco is one of those I like in a sort of uh, Nike. It's one where if people want to buy into the stock, which I think is a great idea, I think it's a wonderful stock to own for, a long, for the long term, but it's probably better to watch this stock and try to catch it when the, when the news is bad. And so you see something like today where the news is good and the forecast is good, uh, the stock is, is consequently up a little bit. But you know, it's one of those ones where I, I think you can add it in, in multiple uh, p- positions, in, multiple, in drips and drabs, uh, but, but get it when it's feeling some weakness there. And so this isn't really that time. I don't necessarily know that I'd put it on a Best Buys Now list. But, I mean, I do think it's a great company to hold for the long term. And, and you know, to Joe's point about about the margin situation, one thing I saw on the call that really having some success with and counteracting that is with more introduction of the private label goods. You know, I think it's the Kirkland brands that they bring in there. And they're starting to introduce these more and more and more. And they're seeing response from the customers in buying these goods. Uh, so between, you know, the, the membership fee increase along with, you know, the private good, the private label goods, which which are cheaper for the them Kirkland to get. The Kirkland brand, right? Yeah. And, and so they are starting to see a little bit of a, of a you know, benefit from that in, in gross margins. So they can still offer those same great low prices. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, it's another way to, to introduce more profitability to the model. Yeah. Well, what I think is interesting about the Kirkland brand is that instead of the traditional route that most retailers have taken, where they're doing a store brand, basically so that they can capture all the margins and gains themselves there instead mm-hmm. of sharing it, you know, with a consumer brands company, <clears throat> Costco is pretty aggressively keeping Kirkland prices low. Like they're still being very disciplined on their you know price setting and in respect to customers. And I think that's really, if you had to point to like an ultimate example of respect for customers and desire to create a long-term valuable relationship, that would be it. That they're not abusing them on that. Yeah, I mean, just so this isn't like a Costco love fest. I mean, we well, I think we all are pretty big fans of the company. The one thing I do... Uh, the hot dogs aren't <laughs> very good. <laughs> <laughs> they, I, I don't... You know, I see all this stuff about share buybacks, and, and Costco's no exception. They mentioned share buybacks as well on the call. Uh, so in the call, they mentioned since June of 05, they've bought back a little more than 111 million shares at about $56.74 per share. The fact of the matter is, though, if you go in and you do the, you look a little bit closer, and you can see just based on their filings that as of June fourteenth, uh, two thousand five, they had about four hundred seventy nine million out, uh, shares outstanding, and in December of of this most recent quarter of fi- quarters filing, they had about four hundred thirty five million shares outstanding. So really, we see a difference there of about forty four million shares. That means the share counts come down about forty four million, but they've bought back one hundred eleven million. So what we're seeing there is. You know, it's dilution, for lack of a better word, and it's it's a little bit misleading, I think, to say that they bought back a little uh, over 111 million shares at 56 dollars and 74 cents per share. It doesn't it's net out that way. Correct. It's considerably more, given the the solid balance sheet they have. I mean, they have you know close to net four billion in cash. I don't know that the share buybacks are always the best way to go for a company like this, but you know, I mean, they. they they're going to do what they're going to do, and that's fine. But I, I think that investors at least need to be aware of those numbers. All right. As uh, said at the outset, it's leap year. Um, and with that in mind, uh, let's look ahead four years. 
um, if you had to hold a stock right now, let's say you're buying it today, you got to hold it for four years, uh, and you can't do anything with it until the next leap year, what are you going to go with and why? Jason, I'll start with you. Yeah, I, I had to think about this one, I think, for about five seconds. Really, when I, <laughs> I, I came to the conclusion that it would be Amazon, and I think the reason why is because I, th- I think there's still a lot of story left to be told here. Um, Amazon just continues to really, you know, penetrate the market with the Kindle franchise. They had a great holiday season, and, uh, you know, they're just now getting these plans for, you know, 3 million square foot expansion at their facility out in, in Seattle. I think they have some really big plans ahead, and I would love to be a part of that. You know, following that story along for the next four years, I think it's going to be really fun. And I'll, I'll go ahead and, and clarify here. I already do own shares of Amazon, and uh, I, I intend to hold them <laughs> through the next four years. Uh, I'm a longtime shareholder as well. But here, let me just throw out two potential scenarios that could happen in the next four years. And these are realistic, in my opinion. Sea monsters? <laughs> not the sea monsters. Uh, I mean, that could happen, but that's not going to affect Amazon. Um, one is the tax situation. We've seen this crop up over and over with with uh, large states all over the U.S., um, uh, whether or not um, sales tax gets um, levied at the state level or at the national level, that seems like a pretty big X factor that Amazon is going to have to deal with. Um, and I think it's reasonable that at some point in the next four years, um, maybe they just continue to deal with it in the way that they are and essentially making deals one-on-one with individual states. But that seems like a big X factor. And the other is the is the, the tablet market. They're clearly making a play with the Kindle Fire um, and they have the ecosystem. They have that infrastructure with books and movies and music and all of that. But it also seems like um, while they have a pretty good foot in the door in the tablet market, I, I just I, I, I worry about anyone who is going up against Apple when it comes to tablets. Yeah, I mean, those are two good observations. The tax argument I really look at is just kind of like a ball that gets batted back and forth. And I mean, it, it's really hard to predict how that will end up. I mean, it seems to just go along every two years with whatever politicians have have to say about it. Um, so that's one I don't really worry about so terribly much. The tablet point, that's a fair point. However, I would also say that really, you know, Apple's iPad and Amazon's Kindle Fire are two completely different uh, tablets. I mean, we have you know one of each in our household right now, and they're and they're good for their own things. I mean, uh, I think there's plenty of room for for Amazon with the Kindle, uh, not just Kindle Fire, but just Kindle e-readers in general to to just you know continue pushing those devices out. And then I mean, we're you know, we can't also we have to remember that this is a company based on innovation, and and with Jeff Bezos behind the wheel there. I I just I yeah can't put anything past him. I'm excited to see what he'll come up with next. There, there are always these rumors out there of a possible smartphone uh, product out there at some point. So, so yeah, part of it is a little bit of a bet on the unknown in the future. And I think that's what makes it you know, interesting to follow. Yeah, and I think more net adoption is a net win for these guys anyway. So if people are going out and buying more smartphones, buying more tablets, I, th- I still think whether they are using Kindles or not, it's still a win for Amazon because people are going to be shopping more often, more frequently. And because Amazon is so prominently placed in all the app stores out there, and it's the main game in town, that they're going to be the big beneficiaries of that. Yeah, I mean, I do plenty of shopping on Amazon on my laptop, and it's not an Apple or anything like that. It's just a laptop computer. Joe, what's your stock for the next leap year? I'm going with TD Ameritrade. They've been my broker for a long time, but I never really gave them a serious look as a stock. And the reason is I viewed online uh, brokerages, discount brokers, as basically racing to the bottom on commissions. And it's true that commissions have fallen over time, something around 4% (laughs) annually here in the U.S. 
That said, I think the market's missing the, missing the real story with TD, which is that they have huge upside on a recovery in interest rates. Uh, they collect, they have a huge amount of assets that they ultimately steward and shepherd that they earn interest on. And right now, interest rates are in the gutter. And when interest rates bounce back to a normalized level, which I'm confident will happen within four years, I think you could easily see earnings per share double a TD Ameritrade with no incremental revenue gains in terms of operations. And I think the market, you know, when you look at the valuation, <laughs> that's definitely not in the stock price. We've talked before about companies that are attractive in part because they are potential takeout candidates. Um, when you look at all of the consolidation that has happened in the banking industry over the last decade, what is your thought on this area of the financial universe? When you look at companies like Schwab and Scott Trade and TD Ameritrade, are these companies that you think uh, are being eyed by larger financial players, or are they just um, essentially playing a different game and, and uh, you know, the big Wall Street firms will sort of let them be? Well, I don't think the big Wall Street firms will hmm. – big Wall Street doesn't want to let them be because they are chipping away at big Wall Street's business. Now, I do think you're going to see more consolidation in this space. But when you look at like a TD or a Schwab, they're the ones who are doing all the acquiring. So TD yep. bought Thinkorswim a year or two ago, which rounded out their options uh, portfolio, and that's been a big win for them. And consolidation – matters a lot here for these guys because it takes competition out of the industry so that slows down the pace of falling commission prices but it also allows them to build up scale and to his point there as well i mean schwab bought the options express which was you know a a chance to get that option specialty under their umbrella Mm -hmm. as well so just goes right along with what joe's saying yeah i mean if anything i would expect you're probably going to see a lot fewer deals in the space just because it's gotten so consolidated if you do see a deal it would probably be td taking out e-trade That'd be my guess. We got a lot of great emails. Of course, you can always email us, radio at fool.com. A lot of emails in response to our discussion yesterday about National Pancake Day. Uh, there were some votes cast for uh, Jason's pumpkin pancakes and for, for Joe's raspberries. I didn't get any votes. That's fine. Yeah, we just want to say thanks to everyone. That was a, yeah. that was a great response there. I mean, Great response. National just uh, a couple uh, I will share in the time that we have. Uh, from Jonathan Shipley in Seattle. Embed a strip of bacon in the batter as the pancake <laughs> cooks on the griddle. When you take a bite of that pancake, the one with the bacon piece inside it, you'll think you've gone to breakfast heaven. From Justin Peters in Minneapolis, if you've never had lemon ricotta pancakes, you are missing out. The best example I've ever had are at the Hell's Kitchen restaurant in Minneapolis. Be sure to venture that way if you're ever in the area. Um, we also got an email today um, uh, from Ed Seeley. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Ed Seeley in northern Illinois. I've been catching up on the past few episodes and laughed at Joe Mager's comment about hiring a maid to do the dishes. After 20 years of marriage, I can suggest to Joe this one item. Do the dishes with your wife. What else are you going to do with her? Sit in front of the TV or computer? Use this time to talk and just be with her. That's what she needs. That's some good advice. That is good advice. And that's actually what we did last night. (laughs) I did the dishes. She was there. We hung out. We talked. Did you actually play that episode for her and, and let her hear us? She went assist? back and listened to it, and she was pretty <laughs> amused. She's like, they did convince you that that was stupid, right? Like, yeah, yeah, they did. At some point, there's a, there's just a substitution there of the preposition. Instead of doing the dishes with your wife, it eventually becomes doing the dishes for your wife. I mean, that's, you know, you got a lot to look forward to, Joe. All right. <laughs> 
Joe Mager, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.